I really hate that whole drop a whole season at once thing. Why? Then you lose a weekend of your life. Well, you can't really talk about it the same way. And I actually realize like how much I forget about it, and I forget how much I actually like House of Cards because I just watch it in a day and then like don't think about it for a year. We don't do the day. Well, I guess you were kind of like out of commission, so you were had a reason to watch TV all day. But we usually do like two episodes in a row, maybe three, of like Orange is New Black. Yeah. Because that starts getting depressing, I find. Like, you start feeling very, well, I feel very, like, I don't know, I start feeling all weird and down that I've just watched, like, four hours of TV or something. Did you guys ever watch the Battlestar Galactica Portlandia skit? Uh, I don't watch either of those, so I probably wouldn't get it. Oh. Uh, but it's just a skit about binge watching. I test drove a Tesla on Saturday. Ooh. They came to Cherry Hill, the land of Chris Christie. And I think I had him up on a pedestal for a while. I was like, oh, it's going to be the best car ever. But it was just really, it was a really nice car, but it was just a car. I think I'm also used to driving SUVs now. <laughs> I don't feel uh, like I'm missing out by not having one anymore. There's Pam. Hello. I saw Hi. a CrossFit video over the weekend, Len. Yeah. That was so intense. Was there a CrossFit open video? No, it was just a Reebok video that was featured CrossFit players. Are you talking about their commercial they have everywhere now? Yeah. 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 There's only a couple of CrossFit moves there, but it's like, do you want to be human? Be uh, are CrossFit human. people sponsored? Uh, Seems like very anti-CrossFit. No, cross the CrossFit HQ are like the douchiest people. They're like the worst. So as much as I spend all year defending CrossFit, like the open seasons, when I the part of time of the year when I remember that CrossFit HQ are like the worst people on the planet. <laughs> um, yeah, they're total douchebags, and Reebok bought them. So I think to be a CrossFit affiliate, you need to pay like. Something to Reebok every year. It's kind of lame. There's this big controversy now because the first part of the Open, they actually designed it really poorly. So you're supposed to do like a Metcon. So you're supposed to go all out for nine minutes. And then as a separate event, you're supposed to try like a max weight for a lift. Uh, and they apparently didn't like design this, you know, because this is a game, right? Essentially, they are doing game design and they're too stupid to realize it. Uh, and part of the Open is having teams. So what some teams did, people who could lift heavy in the second part, they just did nothing for the first part. So teams submit like their best scores for any person. So they they basically, you know, sandbagged the first part. They didn't do anything. And then they put up a really high score in the second part because they were all rested. Uh, and then CrossFit HQ like just in, started indiscriminately disqualifying people because they're like, oh, well, obviously this was not in the spirit of the rules. You need to try your hardest on the first part. <laughs> Mm. Like you can't have a rule to tell somebody to try their hardest. That's like the most subjective, illegitimate thing. On the on the other hand, people that did that sound like they deserve disqualification. They were definitely cheating. Uh, it's not cheating. Like if it, the whole point of a game is to like do the most strategic thing possible. Like, yeah, that's more like the letter of the law than the spirit of the law. But I mean, it's a it's a it's so subjective. So you know, for people that actually did one rep, that's very clear that they were cheating or not cheating, but it's very clear what they were doing. But about people that did like one round or two rounds people that left a lot you know they didn't really give it their all but they didn't so vagrantly sandbag like there's no way to enforce that sounds like crossfit needs a better type system <laughs> it just blew my mind just then <laughs> it's not strongly typed enough pam how's uh new york snow it sucks yeah we went on kind of an adventure on friday and went to central park because one of the hacker schooler said that someone told him they had to see Central Park when there was snow. And then I think that made it snow more. So we saw it before it snowed. And now that's, yeah, I had a hard time getting to record today because of trudging through slush. 
I saw a picture on your Instagram, and I'm pretty sure what you took a picture of was like some famous like brunch place or something, lunch place. Oh yeah, that was the boathouse. The boathouse. Yeah. I only know that from uh, was it Twenty Seven Dresses or something or whatever movie that was. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking the, about when where they, they had down? the wedding. Well, they go down to uh, yeah, they go down to the area, and she tells her sister that this is where yeah, she's going to yeah. get married. That's and... Twenty Seven Dresses. <laughs> Good movie, Pam. Very good movie. I have not seen this movie. Mm. Well, they, they, there's a, there's a, scene, a scene shot at the boathouse. And I was like, I recognize that. We did see, we saw people taking, not pictures there, but they were taking pictures near there, near the Trump Tower, where they, you know, were running out into the middle of the street with their wedding dress on to take pictures. Oh, wow. One of those. Uh, and it's, I always wonder why people have weddings in winter, because that just means you're going to take your pictures outside. It sounds awful. We got married uh, January 5th. I got married in a courthouse. It was heated. <laughs> we got married inside, too. We took pictures outside. It was, it was quite cold. It wasn't actually that bad, but it was like, it was like 30s, 40s. All the bridesmaids had big puffy shawls. So have you all talking about, talked about my topic at all? What's the topic? The topic is what kind of education do you need to become a programmer? Oh, right, right. What? Like, this was like, because you, you, that noise is because you forgot about it because it was picked like a week ago? That's partly yeah, that, but partly because uh, my boyfriend's like a PhD in education and uh, <laughs> I don't have any kind of degree. <laughs> That's never stopped us from giving opinions before, Len. <laughs> don't let it stop us now. <laughs> yeah, I also don't have a degree. I have, a, I have an MCSE, Microsoft Certified Systems Engineer, that I went to uh, a technical school for seven months to get. But Did you go to ITT Tech? Uh, it was it was Satone Institute, which I think is now Lincoln Technical Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and when I was there, they were milking the you know MCSE whatever train, and then as I was leaving, they were they were milking the nursing train, mm. and then and then uh, I think a couple of years ago they were doing like uh, paralegals or something. I don't know. They they basically teach whatever they think they can like certify people in and promise them jobs. I I made out okay from it, but a lot of my classmates did not. It's because you're so motivated, Justin. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what kind of things did you have to learn in that course? Well, we played uh, a lot of Quake and StarCraft 1. Well, those are important. Yeah. Um, no, we... Um, so in, in Windows Serverland, you have domains and uh, different ways to structure domains, um, like an organization hier- hierarchically. Uh, hierarchy anyway so we would build these you know fake companies with these you know very intricate uh basically you've heard like ldap right uh oh, for authentication yeah, yeah yeah logging yeah. in yeah it's basically the the directory service that provides that if you ever logged into windows and you pull a drop down that says like you know your company name or or work or something like a domain um different levels of that all nested and we would we would make very complex policies of that who has rights to what and then in addition to learning that windows server stuff uh we also learned like networking and routing and how the internet works and uh yeah a bunch of useful stuff if you're going to be a systems engineer at a mid to large size company i, I suppose but i did not learn programming that's for sure so would you take that course again or a course like it? Uh, if I did it all again, I would have maybe gone to school for computer science or started programming earlier. <laughs> uh, 
when I graduated high school, I didn't really think programming was a viable career because, like, you, who, who would want to sit in front of a computer for eight hours a day and look at code? <laughs> Crazy people. That's actually uh, why. That's why I dropped out of school too. But that's actually yeah. Like I was gonna say, like actually, the realization that someone would pay me to play on a computer for eight hours a day was like, oh, yeah. that's exactly what I'd love to do. <laughs> that's what I thought to myself too. You know, and a, and a, a friend of mine actually went to uh, a similar course, and when he was. Uh, taking a tour of the facility, he was curious about like maybe taking a programming course instead of the system engineering course or the network system professional course. And the recruiter, uh, they were off hours, and he he walked him into a programming classroom where this like imagine the dorkiest person you could imagine was sitting there like completely socially awkward, and introduced my friend to this person was like, do you really want to be like that guy? And that was that was so sad to me because, like, you know, he might have been a good programmer, but he got, you know, discouraged from it by a recruiter that was. <laughs> Wait, what What kind of recruiter? It, it was at the, uh, I guess not recruiter, but like recruitment for the school, for the school. Like, yeah. I, I guess the schools, these technical institutes have like, uh, like a, basically a sales team. Well, yeah, yeah. Admissions, I guess. I don't know. They're pretty uh, much sales because there's not really admissions. So... See, if I, if I did it again, I would have gone to either computer science school or uh, programmed from an earlier age. Um, I'm happy where I am now, and that time in between wasn't wasn't bad. It was it was great. I just never want to wear like slacks and a button down and a tie <laughs> and and be the help at a at a law firm or a small company. Right. Please install my printer. Yep, pretty much. A lot of lots of printer maintenance. Lots of uh, I can't find this email. Somebody says they sent it to me. Where is it? Hey, I downloaded this thing. My computer doesn't work anymore. <laughs> My first job was uh, during the dot-com boom. And actually, I started, and we had to wear, like, shirt and ties. And then we got relaxed, like, all the way down to, like, T-shirts and jeans. And then shit started getting bad, and we got forced to go back up to polo shirts and khakis. Well, all over the map. I actually just made it work for Vanguard uh, doing web development. Uh, maybe like UI, UX stuff. Uh, but she has to wear a formal like business professional suit to work five days a week. The best part about that job was I finally learned how to tie a tie and now I can do it when I'm half asleep. So. <laughs> <laughs> I can tie a tie as well. Dang, do I need a job like that? I can't tie a tie. <laughs> no, you, you, you'll be fine. Watch YouTube video. This uh, is before but... YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's a site that I go to every time I need to tie one, and then I just follow the instructions. Most of my friends have, like, clip-ons mm. or zipper ones. So I, I thought about this, and I read the article. It was by the Washington Post, right, Pam? Or no? Yes, it was Washington Post. Okay. It was the, the article was uh, something about uh, kind of the, we don't need more STEM majors. We need more people interested in STEM from liberal arts backgrounds. Well-rounded mm. people. Yeah, that's what they're kind of expressing. But it's specifically like liberal arts education. And you pose the question, what education do we need as programmers? Or do you think we need as programmers? Does does one need to become a programmer? I feel like it's less about what education you have and like what type of person. What do you mean by that? Is. So like, I feel like if someone went to school and they got a liberal arts degree and someone didn't, and but someone wants to know about that stuff, they'll... Learn about it anyway or get involved in it? Maybe. So I feel I mean, like... Yeah, I think it's interesting, though, that just as, like, programmers, which is, you know, I guess we could even, we could unpack that of are we talking about an industry or a skill, um, is full of autodidacts. And 
you wouldn't want like an autodidact doctor. Mm-mm. Like I, I think we can agree on that. I don't think I would want an autodidact doctor. So like, so what kind what, of oh, autodidact uh, means you taught yourself. Oh, okay. Autodidact. I know that word from uh, bones. Did, did she learn paleontology or it's no, that's no, dinosaurs. There was, there was a, <laughs> there was an intern that was really cocky and was reading a, and he was uh, very cocky about his intellect. And then he was reading like a, kind of like a softcore porn book and somebody made fun of him. He's like, Oh, I'm an autodidact. I can learn from anything. Yep. <laughs> good, good story, Justin. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. But yeah, so wait, I do all, none of the three of you have college degrees? Nope. Mm-hmm. Okay. Len went and dropped out. I went for, I dropped out the last semester of my third year. Len is on break. Let's get it right. Len yeah, I'm taking a year off. Oh, right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Now I remember. Um, and then Justin, did you ever go at all? I never went to a uh, accredited college. No, I went to that technical school and then that was it. Right. So you went to a school, but not a university. And yeah. Javon, you I didn't... went to the school of hard knocks. Yeah. Javon didn't do anything. <laughs> but I currently read more about programming than I did when I was in school for computer science. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I think that's but that was true. like 1985, right? Pretty so. <laughs> <laughs> They didn't have the internet back then. <laughs> We barely did. We had a we had Pine, Telnet to our server, and uh, I thought you were gonna say you had Pine like you had trees and you carved, <laughs> carved into them. parchment. I had a BBS, but yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I I always end up seeing these articles because I have a liberal arts education, and so liberal arts educators are always trying to justify their existence. So, I actually do appreciate my liberal arts education, and think it's good for a certain set of people. But actually, well, this actually this topic is relevant because over the weekend, um, I talked a little bit to these these people who have this school out in in the California called Make School. I think that's what it is. Um, so it's it's the idea is that it's an alternative to college. So especially for people who go to the big or the the quote elite universities. I guess make schools ideas. There's enough of people going to this quote elite universities who are dropping out to go into the tech industry anyway, so that they want to start a school that just does that and teaches you what you need to get a job. So I'll I can I'll drop the link in the in the notes. But what do you all think about those kind of things about non traditional schools? I mean I I like it. I think that. Uh... It's almost like the like the apprenticeship model in a way, like. Yeah, I mean, I think I I think I have boot camp industry skepticism, but like, really? they, yeah, I think that's so. Like, even though they wouldn't build themselves as a boot camp, I'm you know I'm a question mark question mark about them. Because mm. there are I've read some interesting, um, you know, Zed Shaw actually he promised to go on a tirade about boot camps, but then I don't think he ever did. He only did a short tirade, not never the full tirade. But um, but people people who go to these things because they aren't accredited institutions and they just they get nothing. Like it's just like people are like, hey, we can charge people a bunch of money and, and they'll come because there's a high demand for this. And then it's kind of evil. Yeah, I really like the the you know once you're done and you get a job, they get like a percentage of your salary because then it's kind of like they're I like that style. Incentivized yeah, that's, to... that's actually what Make School does. You you actually like don't pay anything and you pay a um, and it's not, it's not even a, it's not a recruiting fee. It's a flat, like X percentage of your future income. Yeah. 
So I think uh, from the whistling sound, I think that Javon wanted to say something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm whistling? No. When you so start I'm, to speak, it goes... You said... Uh, so... Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm also anti-boot camp, but there are some boot camps that I think are pretty good. And even though I don't support them, I still feel like when you when someone finishes it, they have they should have a few apps, right, or a couple apps. And Actually, yeah, I mean that's right. a good measure. Like if you if you if you graduate a code bootcamp and you don't have any projects on your GitHub that you wrote, it's a good sign that you didn't get a code bootcamp. But yeah, so the the Zed Shaw post is called "The Coming Code Bootcamp Destruction." The problem it's pretty, I have a it's pretty dire. <laughs> it's a pretty dire title. Does it have stuff about like? I don't know if this is the right term, but like watering down the uh, the pool of developers. Oh no, Zetra, he didn't talk about that at all. Okay. Yeah, because that's actually that's that's one of those arguments that I don't like at all. Mm. I I don't think like I understand like it's one of those the idea that more people are coming into an industry that has like has a de- decent lifestyle afforded to it, you know, that can threaten people's people's ideas. That oh, if now there's all these people who are willing to come in and work for less, but that's always been true. I mean, yeah, and I think that like if you like, hopefully you've differentiated yourself from somebody that just came out of a boot camp. Like you're not going to be affected by that, right? That's more then, on you than it is on the boot camp. Like it's people, your job to get like to be you know on your shit. Yeah, and people that come out of boot camp and then work for a few years and get enough experience to you know theoretically like kick you out of a job probably have earned that. Yeah. Because uh, I don't know, I, I assume that going to a boot camp versus just learning on my own how I did, they're probably at a slight advantage, <laughs> having some sort of a semi-formal training. Do you think you should rephrase the question and say ask more like uh, like what traits make a good programmer, or is that too far off, or like what experiences make a good programmer, or something? I guess maybe experiences, like. So education, like formal education, going through the formal education process is one possible experience that can lead to being a programmer. But what other experiences lead to that? I think there are probably a lot of roads. As, as I mentioned in the uh, the origin stories, episode three, I think the biggest thing for me was being on the Hell Death March project. And that was kind of my incentive to never ever experience that again. And kind of my passion about development methodologies and, and clean code stems from uh, trying to figure out what made my life such hell for two years. Yeah, I think backing up from that too, like just in general, what it takes to be a programmer um, I think like privilege of having resources available to you to tinker, especially like at a young age, makes a big difference. Like, what do you mean uh, by tinkering? Well, I happen to have a computer that I could play with when I was young. And I'm sure this is more common now because computers are getting cheaper and better. And um, so even though I didn't, you know, program professionally until I was in my late 20s, uh, Ever since I was a young child, I had access to a computer with like basic and I could make little tiny, you know, programs with with go to statements or, you know, learn how to fix my run this game that I want to run by installing some memory expander or or uh, troubleshooting, you know, why why Windows is broken, Windows 95 or something. I don't know. Like I had the opportunities at a young age to to play with those things. And I think I think that laid a really good base for having the ability to understand how computers work. Whereas somebody who maybe like didn't interface with those things until 
they were an adult might not have the same those same experiences to work to uh to use does that make sense yeah did any of us us four like not have a computer when they were young i got a computer when i was 12 mm-hmm. were you the 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 guru of the family like everybody asked you how to how to work it or eventually yeah no no. My mom was using computers before, mm. but like eventually I became that person. Yeah, for my 13th birthday, I asked for a guitar and a computer, and I only got a computer. So I always think about how different my life would have been if I would have gotten <laughs> the guitar. <laughs> Rockstar Lem. Kind of computer you get Lem? Uh, I got a Wang with an 80 meg hard drive, oh, and wow. one of those old CD-ROM drives that you had to like take the the cartridge out and like put the CD in. Oh, yeah. That's cool. I had a compact. Compact Rosario? Yeah. I had one of those that had a... It was an all-in-one, and it had a TV tuner built into it. Mm-hmm. That I didn't really use, but I thought it was so cool. Yeah. I'm not sure if this is off topic, but I was listening to a podcast over the weekend, and this person is writing a Haskell book, and he is friends with... A person that has a master's, I think, in linguistics. And he thought it would be cool for her to learn Haskell. As her, She's never programmed or had any interest in programming. Um, and she's learning Haskell. And she's having fun. Um, so maybe linguistics helped her. Or having a, a background in languages and stuff. And people say that there's some inherent ability to like problem solve. Um, but I'm having trouble putting that into words and what that means. But linguistics definitely sounds like one of the things that would fall in that category. Well, like if you have to do tons of homework and reading every night, right? And then if you have to figure out a problem at work, you could probably put in that same amount of effort. You're saying you're like hardened by your by your work ethic? Yeah, somewhat. Have any of you ever tried to get somebody that is not a programmer, a friend, to to learn programming? Has it ever worked? It worked once. Uh, a friend of mine, she actually got her PhD and she was dreading going into academia. And I told her, as I tell many of my friends, I tell them, if you don't like what you're doing, learn a program, you'll get a job in six months. I won't want to work with you for <laughs> many years, but you will get a job. Uh, no one believed me, uh, but she did. Although she actually took like a year worth of online classes and now she's a Python programmer. Oh, cool. Does she like what she does now? She loves what she does. And she's the only one who actually ever believed me that when I told them, just learn a program and you'll get a job. I should phrase that. Although she's not the best case because, you know, having a PhD in anything kind of proves that you're, you know, very, very capable. But there's many other friends that, you know, hate their jobs and I try to convince them just to learn programming. I've taken a more, uh, I guess, literal approach of like, here's what Ruby looks like. And then they're all scared by like my full screen terminal vim and... (laughs) Yeah, you need to the the scary can, black screen of doom. Yeah. Which is interesting, right? Because it actually is like the most I mean, is it the most I think it's the most pleasant environment, like dark screen to program in. Oh yeah. It's easier on your eyes and everything. But it but, just has like such a reputation of like I I have I know someone who works in a a non technical environment. They work at a university and they're like the technologist there. And when they want people to leave them alone, they just pull up a really big Vim screen <laughs> and it just intimidates people away. I think that's telling. But the terminal is so much easier than. Uh, I'm not saying people. Easier? People are. Should be. <laughs> like, yeah, it's so much easier. 
Well, there's a discoverability problem, right? Like yeah. you type things and, and hit keystrokes and do things that you you've learned how to do, but somebody looking at that screen has no idea. Like there's no intuitive way to to know, like how to exit Vim, for example. Like mm-hmm. most people would go to File Quit or File Exit or in a, on a Mac like MacVim.quit, uh, but there's no there's no way to intuit that I should hit colon Q Enter to quit Vim. Vim is a special case, but the terminal in general. Well, even the terminal. Like, how do I know that hitting tab completes things? How do I know that? That is true. Um, how do I know what directory I'm in without seeing it on the side? I, I don't know. There's a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you know that ls shows you files unless somebody shows you or tells you that? So should you say like? Um, so I know that you don't know those things, but I, I, there has to be a way to tell people like this is so awesome. Just please have an open mind. No, I guess what I'm saying is that learning programming, learning how to use a shell, don't have to be the same thing. Mm. They could learn one and then the other, and they should probably learn programming first. Yeah, I think Pam was trying to say to introduce people to the like least intimidating environment. Yeah, like start you. I mean, yeah, whenever you start, you always start with something more like Sublime Text. With I honestly, actually, intentionally use. Like, I mean, obviously it also works better on projector, but with um, lighter colors, warm colors actually is kind of one of my intentions. I don't know. I'm sure someone could study that and see like what has a better impact on people. Another thing that I noticed is some newer programmers are learning to program and then they want to switch to Vim because people talk about how awesome Vim is. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I kind of disagree with it, but I feel Justin would say. I mean, yeah. I I thought that, but then also I was really sold on Vim when people said it's because you use less keystrokes. I think people should learn Vim when they want to learn Vim or whatever they're going to do. Like, I don't think you should ever tell somebody to learn Vim and how to program at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised that you thought I would say something other than that. Well, I know I know you're strong like Vim, but yeah, I'm also practical. Yeah. So in the podcast yesterday, also. They mentioned this article and they had some rules about how to help someone learn programming and they said you should never say something is easy. Oh yeah. Uh oh and I hate I I also can we use this time to say how I hate the word just and I catch myself doing it too. Very simply you should be able to Oh you just, you know obviously you can Obviously. Uh so Mike Nicolaitis, uh N i c h o l a i d e s on GitHub. Uh, he has a Vim plugin called Words to Avoid, and it's a Vim plugin. <laughs> but it says uh, it will highlight words that you should avoid in tech writing. So it lists obviously, basically, simply, of course, clearly, just everyone knows. However, so easy. And there's a bunch of links uh, to articles about what words you should avoid when you're doing technical writing and probably speaking as well. So what else? Uh, I know that we usually do this at the beginning of the podcast, but what else? What other programming stuff have you guys been up to in the past week? Pam, how's hacker school going? Week two. Week two. Uh, I posted my week two recap um, this week. Uh, so people, one of the really nice things at hacker school is that there. So it is all completely unorganized, but people then create structure. So there's usually a few workshops going on. Uh, so this week. That last week, one of my batchmates did a Go workshop, and he actually he started using Go like when it came out. Uh, so he knows a lot about Go. Uh, and then we got to pair the next day in Go, which was cool. And so, and actually, and my goal this week, that last week, was to pair every day, and I did. And it was oh, great. nice! It was awesome. How do you um, feel about Go after doing that? You know, I I I had been prejudiced about Go. I think 
I think I I noticed this about because I feel this a little bit about React JS too. I have a little bit of of exhaustion of oh my god about things. <laughs> I'm exhausted. My my enthusiasm is waned. So uh, when people start getting enthusiastic about Go, I think a year and a half ago, I was like, I'm not. I'm just not. I'm not getting into this. <laughs> But I uh, actually I like it. I mean, it's you know it's really similar to not not the way it's written that is similar to Swift. But I mean, it's yet another you know statically typed language. It's pretty good. It actually the environment for Go is kind of interesting. You kind of have to buy in. You don't have to, but your life is easier if you buy into some magic like the Go path. So if you import a package, you don't actually you you literally import say like in quotes, GitHub slash foo slash bar. Right. And then when you do go imports, it goes to the, like it understands what that means. There's not like a package.json that, it in, you know, that reinterprets those um, into to paths. Um, so the, the go path magic is, but I, I appreciated getting the, the workshop from someone who's experienced because he was like, it'll be weird, but just give up. Just give, if you're going to do go, believe in the go path. It'll make your life easier. I think one of the most complex things about learning to program in Go is the Go path, because you you fight you fight with it. Yeah, and that's then you his, realize his, what his point was. Don't fight with it. Yeah, yeah. Just give a, up. It's a very different uh, way of doing package management from what we're we're used to in like Python or Ruby or JavaScript. Um, and like a, a lot of things that I find in uh, like when learning new languages. If you see like something, Go for example, right, is the Go path and uh, not having version dependencies and also uh, error checking. Oh, I didn't know about the version dependencies. We did well, so, do, we did run into the error checking stuff really quickly. Yeah, so like a lot of things return a a result and an error, and you're supposed to check if error is nil and then continue. And you can write yeah. you can write or a helper. Or you can panic. I like that it's called panic. Yeah. <laughs> so you can write a helper function that just says like check error and then just panics if there's an error. But that kind of like reduces a little bit of the uh visibility into what's going to happen when this error is returned um i mean i do i appreciate the the design idea of making errors like a kind of a first class first class deal that whenever you do something that can have an error you automatically always like have to deal with the error mm -hmm. even if you just panic so yeah like like those those things i think are weird coming from their languages uh in go but i think there are reasons for them and you should just embrace it but basically what I'm trying to say is any language you're learning, just embrace whatever the convention is. Don't try to fight it too much when you don't I mean there's something to be said for fresh I think eyes. That's, and, I think that's a good idea. And I mean that's also, you know, one of the reasons why we why we look well, I I would say I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say I speak for the group when I say we learn other programming languages to challenge how we think of programming. Um and if you don't allow yourself to to fully embrace what the purpose and raison d'etre for a given language is, then you aren't actually expanding your mind. You're just digging deeper into your curmudgeon hole. Mm -hmm. I think that's a true statement for what me. What was that word that you used? Curmudgeon? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, raison d'etre? Yeah. It's a phrase in French that means reason for being. Okay. Raison d'etre. Ah. That's not right at all. <laughs> I have another question for you, Pam. What's up, Javon? I heard you used your mailing list. I did use my mailing list. Um, all, you know, I actually haven't checked to see how many people unsubscribed. I turned off those notifications. I don't want to know. 
Um, but all, you know, 18 people who were subscribed, I sent out my first mailing list email. So just I read a, it. Uh, thanks, Justin. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if you, if you want to email me any feedback on format or anything, I'm still figuring out. I know, I've known some people who I really like their format, which is, because the thing is it really, the mailing list, all it is, is a monthly, here's kind of what I've done lately. And here's what's coming up is the idea uh, since usually I have a, so I'm speaking at a conference, but on a panel. So it'll be really nice. I'm going to be on a panel at Write, Speak, Code um, in in this month, March, in like two weeks. Uh, that's, the, that's the conference that we had. Rebecca Miller-Webster, she organized that. Um, so it's coming up. It's going to be awesome. I, there might still be tickets. If, if you're the target audience listeners, you should go. A coworker of mine is on the fence. What's the, she should know. go. She should go. That's all I should go. say. Yeah, just tell her to go. Okay. She should go. So, end of story. The end. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So that's good. And then this week, uh, I don't, I don't want to talk about what I'm building yet because I'm not sure that it's possible. And oh. so until I fail or succeed, I don't want to talk about it on the podcast. Wow. So I might go into skunk works mode. Big I mean, you can also just like watch my GitHub and see what I'm working on. Um, that is always an option because I push everything there. That's also that's something that is true about hacker school, but I don't think is really as built is that everything you're doing is open source. So anything you work on, anything you work on is supposed to be open source, um, which I think is a really cool, cool predicate for the work. Yeah. So every so everything I make here. Will be out in the open. Also makes it easier to collaborate on people. It just makes sense. So I can just, you know, send it to somebody if I have a question or talk to alumni or something like that, and they want to give feedback or a code review. Like having it open, all open source, makes that so much easier. Nice. Yeah. How's uh, how's your how's software's craft? Oh. People people are really digging the code card is here, and I'm and they're like, oh, do you all do this like often? I'm like, well, funny you ask because Justin Campbell runs this stuff every month. You know, I so found there, out too. There's a there's a know. Ruby Ruby meetup in uh, in Austin. I think it's Austin RB, run by Nolan Stowe. Oh, and, cool. Uh, they do uh, they do katas or or some kind of like code exercise uh, every month or wherever the meetups are. That's do you cool. Think, do you think people will appreciate the kata more than going to the bar? I hope so. I hope so. I well, think it's it's just so it's so useful. So I, I I'm. It appeals to me that having useful things. I mean, also, I wonder it. if it's like if it because I think that would work really well for a meetup if you had the kata actually before the talk, Ooh. so people come early. They have to stay. <laughs> well, I mean, they could leave, yeah, but no, but like they would intentionally come to kata and then they would stay for the talk and then then socializing is afterward. Yeah, the two biggest problems with the with the format right now. So right now we we it starts at six. The speakers at six thirty, and then there's a kata afterwards. It usually starts about seven seven thirty seven forty five. But seven forty five is kind of like that's kind of like that's leave, I'm kind of done. Yeah, yeah, leave the meetup kind of time. Yeah, uh, I've come to the meetup and left at that time just because it's like, and then I could be home. So if like thirty five people show up, maybe fifteen twenty stay for the kata. At the same uh, time, that's also a good size for having like the group talk after. That's true. Yeah, but so it works kind of like, nice. It works out great, right? Because we have space for that amount of people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you would <laughs> run out. Just kidding. <laughs> many people should come many people should stay. so many people should come um yeah the, the, other, the other thing is that we have uh, a lot of people attempt the kata in either they don't write tests or 
Yeah, I mean, that's happening here too. But as long as people pair, I think they're still like getting a lot out of it. I mean, yeah, they're getting a lot out of it no matter what they do. That's the whole point is that it's an exercise. So it is, I am kind of bummed when people, like when I'm like, you should TDD. And they're like, Mara. it's like, well, you are never going to get better at it if you don't do it. So yeah, it has to say that like they're doing it wrong. So I don't think No, exactly. They aren't doing wrong. it wrong. They're doing something that's useful to them yeah. at whatever they're working on. And that's great. Like totally. So yeah, actually, uh, somebody offered to run one in the Philly Burbs. Oh, good. So I might, I might organize, help, help organize that with them. And maybe well, I was thinking, do you, have you all ever thought of doing codas at Code and Coffee? Um, no, not yet. It's a good idea though. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, cause I mean, there are people, it, it'd be interesting cause I, I'm thinking cause the girl development has Code and Coffees as well, right? Yeah. Rise and Shine, whatever it's called. Yeah. <laughs> I get those emails. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I, I, it's almost like it's kind of like kind of like the the one I think the code cards before a user group would be a great one because then everyone can just kind of agree to program in the language of the user group. Like if you want to get better at Python, show up to the Python codas before the Python meetup. Like it it flows really easily. Mm. Code and coffee, you would kind of have to have like a multi track. Like you want to just come and talk to people because like code and coffee, you also don't really have to code. You can just hang. Yeah. Um. And so if you really just want to hang, you know, or like quote, you know, air quote, work on the thing you're working on, but really you just want to hang. Um, you can do that. And then if you want to like do code codes, there could be like a sign up board and a start time and people can like match with each other as they put on those. Cause that's, that's actually one of the things I did for the first week was I had everyone sign up on an etherpad with their languages. Oh, uh, cool. And then that way everyone could see what everyone else put. So I think that also my hope is that what I react to that is all put on some of my stretch languages too. If I see that someone has one of my stretch languages, like if there's one person who put down, you know, there's actually a lot of Pascal here, but that's, that's, that's not an example. But like someone <laughs> put down Swift. So like someone put down Swift and I'm like, well, like I do know Swift. Like, so I guess I could do that, but I've never done TDD in Swift. Like I wonder what that would look like. Um, let's put that down. So... I think that like the sign up sheet can be kind of nice because it always is awkward at the beginning when you're trying to find your pair. It's a little like being picked for the the kickball team. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people uh, at Software as Craft will pick somebody they know, but usually the scenario is like neither of them know testing. Yeah, uh, so really you kind of like I actually even kinda... even people that come are regulars and and know like <clears throat> Javon will pick people they know. <laughs> <laughs> Because I don't see those people all the time. so I know, but I wish people would get more out of the comfort zone. And, yeah. uh, how about how about you create a script, right? So random, before... Uh, I, like, a, I, mean, you, I mean, I think for it to be effective, you would almost want to have weights. So the person would fill out like a questionnaire in order to come to the meetup. Like, yeah. Stretch language, comfortable language. Match and, and do weights. That's interesting. It's a lot of, that's way too serious. Yeah, it's a little serious. <laughs> But then maybe you could like move up weight classes. Ah, that would be fun. Hey you. <laughs> Some kettlebells. <laughs> um, do you all want to go ahead and do picks? Sure. So I can, because I can start. So because there's this paper that someone shared uh, in the in the chat rooms at Hacker School, uh, and they said it was really good, and so it's now on my list of papers to read. Um, it is a little bit longer, but I think the I mean, because we only read like the last paper we read was like four pages. Um, it's like 20 some odd pages, but it's fun with type functions. So um, it has the word fun in it. So that's good. Um, but 
I guess, what would I have? Like, I didn't really even read it. I literally, like, I'm picking it because I want to read it. So, on what type versions? Uh, I'll go next. Uh, I bought a quadcopter off of Amazon for $25. It fits in an Altoids tin. Uh, there's a bunch of them on Amazon. The one I got is called the Key Toys, K-I-I-T-O-Y-S quadcopter. Uh, and it's a ton of fun. The battery, like, it charges in like 10, 15 minutes. It flies for at least over five minutes. And it's, it's a pretty good time. And then while I was on Amazon just now, uh, they have a thing for March where it's uh, National Reading Month. Yeah, and, reading. And uh, Kindles are only $59. So are they always only $59? Or are they nicer Kindles? $79 for the base model. And the pay points, I think, are 100 and something, 19 maybe. Oh, because I think there is a cheaper one if you're willing to like have ads. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know if they still do that. The ads are actually not that bothersome because it's not like... Yeah. The, yeah. No, my mom has that. It's like a screensaver. That. It's your screensaver. So, like, it's never... It's not going to interrupt your book, and that's what my mom got. It actually looks kind of nice, as, usually, as a screensaver. Yeah, bottom line, Kindles are on sale, and if you're reading on your phone or iPad, you should probably get a Kindle. They're pretty good. Yeah. Well, a Kindle with a e-ink screen. Yes, not a Kindle Fire. <laughs> yeah, because I, like, I see people buy Kindles, and they're like, why'd you buy not the e-ink? So. Okay, so my pick is not watching House of Cards because I lost all of Saturday to House of Cards. Uh, so you're saying to watch House of Cards? I'm saying don't watch it. It's you're, too addicting. You're telling me to watch House you of Cards. You lose a day of your life. I'm, I'm reading through your... Really? Every I, year I lose it. I didn't like day. the first episode. The second episode was kind of... It was better, but... Of this season? Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. But you, you enjoyed it, though? Yep. Okay. But I, I do hate... Uh, Netflix's release a whole season at once model because what? I just I I binge watch and then I don't think about it again like I always for, I don't think about liking House of Cards because it's like would you have been watched it if you had something to do on Saturday? Um, I mean I still would have been it's just not like in like a whole weekend. Mm. Yeah, I mean in winter I feel like yeah when they come out I think Orange Is the New Black comes out in summer and so I don't I don't actually usually I don't finish that in one day I usually finish that in like a week and a half. Yeah, we watch like two episodes a day about. Yeah, because like because it's summer, and so you have other shit that's awesome. So rather than just sitting inside all day. But then there are other shows like when shows come out weekly, you can watch the show and then go to work and talk to all your friends about how good the show was. And you can't really do that with the whole season. Yeah, the at season once. you have to wait for someone to have also binge watched it. Right. I remember when the uh, when the last what's it when the Arrested Development came out all on Netflix. Um, I knew the developer, uh, there's a developer at NPR who binge watched it so that he could make a news application about it, about the memes in <laughs> the recurring themes. And he was so bothered because he was like, why hasn't everyone watched all of them yet? Cause right. he watched like all of them within like the first mathematical time that you could like physically watch all of them. He watched all of them because <laughs> of like getting this data out, um, and he was so frustrated. It was really funny and cute. <laughs> but. Uh, so then my next pick is ASCII Flow, which is just kind of this ridiculous app where you can have a GUI for making ASCII graphs and, and charts. So, yep, ASCII Flow. Uh, Javon, do you have a pick? I do. Um, my music pick is, once it loads, um, I'll come back to that because it disappeared. Uh, so I've been playing with Elixir, the programming language, and I think it's probably been picked. But I've also been reading Programming Elixir um, by Dave Thomas. I really like it. Uh, it's a good book. And Elixir is pretty awesome. It looks like Ruby. And my music picks is an album called Ten Love Songs by 
artist called Susan Sunfor, I think is how you say it. That's it. So show notes are at turing.cool slash 41. Follow us on Twitter at turingcool, and I'll talk to you guys next week. See ya.